stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Uh, well, yes, Doug Ford, he did that last night, did that uh, in that he secured a majority government for his Ontario PC party. Uh, so change was due. Change was probably long overdue in Ontario. And I guess going into Election Day, the only question really was, well, what kind of change would it be? Was it going to be Doug Ford and the Ontario PC party? Would it possibly be Andrea Horvath and the Ontario NDP? Well, it was uh, Doug Ford and his PC party. The PC's finally getting over the hump after having come up short in the last couple of elections. So what does it mean for Ontario? What does it mean for the PC party? And what do we know about Ontario's new premier, Doug Ford? Well, joining us to talk more about the election results last night, where Ontario goes from here, uh, very pleased to welcome to the program our friend Matt Gurney, host of The Exchange on AM640 Global News Radio in Toronto. Matt, so great to have you with us. Welcome to the program. I should note you're getting what's left of Matt Gurney, which is two hours of sleep and yeah, no three kidding. hours of continuous work. <laughs> but hi, great to be here. Hey, well, we very much appreciate it. Yeah, well, I mean, all things considered, though, I guess uh, it was somewhat of a short night in that we didn't have to wait very long to, to find out the winner, did we? No, we didn't. And I think um, people who aren't in Ontario and might not have been following along with that, I don't want them to get the wrong impression of what happened last night. I mean, I saw some uh, partisans, conservative partisans last night saying, oh, my God, it's such a crushing victory. They called it within minutes. Yeah. That's true, but that's not exactly what, what happened. What happened yesterday uh, is that Ontario, for the first time, used a new election counting process. Uh, we, we still had paper ballots. I still literally marked my X on a, on a piece of paper. But then that piece of paper was fed into a machine that uh, automatically tabulated all the votes. So what happened at 9 o'clock when the polls closed, nobody had to open a box. There didn't have to be any volunteers doing, uh, you know, counting ballots by hand. Yeah. What happened was each of these machines spat out a number. And then the only thing that actually had to happen was for all of the different polling stations in the riding to phone their numbers into the central headquarters. They all got tabulated, and boom, within 16 minutes, we knew we had a, a conservative majority. Yeah. Well, and to put it in perspective for Albertans, 40.6% is what the Ontario PCs got in, in the election last night. 40.6% is what the Alberta NDP got in, in 2015. Uh, and I think, you know, the seat breakdown, it's about one got 61% of the seats, the other got 62% of the seats. So uh, it's it's pretty comparable to, to that victory. But, I, I mean, the PCs have been, uh, I think, over dude for for a win in ontario but going into this election that, that was it was certainly not a, a slam dunk or a guarantee was it no that it was their election to lose uh and they really gave it like every possible chance to do exactly that uh the liberals i mean look i know a lot of your listeners follow ontario politics at least in general but i'm going to recap this for you really briefly the liberals have been in power since 2003 uh, they've been in power, and they, you know, they had an okay first term. They had kind of a crappy second term. But what kept happening is the liberals, and my theory is actually to their eventual misfortune, but they kept catching breaks. 
Uh, and, you know, they, they barely hung on through a weird series of coincidences. They got a minority government. They were able to then convert that into a majority. The government probably ended up lasting about double what any other government would in a normal political circumstances. But they just kept getting lucky over and over and over. That luck honestly had run out by the last election. But the conservative campaign, which was set for a crushing victory, ended up dropping the ball in the 11th hour, and it threw just enough votes to the liberals last time, like by the tiniest of margins, that they ended up winning it. So we've had this 15 years of straight liberal government, and probably the voters were tired of them seven years ago. So I think what we saw last night was the reckoning that no series of fluky coincidences could postpone anymore. The conservatives were due. They led the polls basically all the way through, with the exception of a couple of polls that showed them effectively tied with the NDP. But they were never really trailing, and they haven't really been trailing at any time in recent years. Well, what's interesting to me, too, and I mean, I remember when, you know, when Patrick Brown, when that that whole scandal erupted and that was just such a, an enormous story. I mean, it was just I mean, it, it shook, uh, you know, the, the party to its foundations. It was news right across the country map. But for as much as people thought, oh, this is really going to you know throw a wrench into the next election, it's uh, it's going to have a huge impact. It, it seemed like an afterthought. I don't get the sense that anybody was talking about Patrick Brown in this campaign. Well, Patrick Brown was talking about Patrick Brown. He kept popping up during the campaign uh, with op-eds and a book deal and radio interviews. And God bless him. I mean, sure, he, he has every right in the world. But it was funny. One of my colleagues at Global said to me yesterday, if there's anyone this morning who's waking up frustrated, it's probably three people. It's Kathleen Wynne. It's Andrew Horvath, the leader of the NDP and our new leader of the opposition. And it's Patrick Brown. Because if this thing had been a disaster for the Tories and if they had yet again frittered an unwinnable election away, Patrick Brown could have said, hey, guys, you had a pretty sure thing with me. We had a costed platform. We had popular policies. But guess what? You screwed up. Unfortunately, Patrick Brown ended up winning a majority government. uh, Sorry, Doug Ford, I should say, won a majority government about as big as anyone had ever forecasted that Patrick Brown would have. So poor Patrick Brown the Tories did just fine without him. Okay, well, let's talk about Doug Ford, because people didn't expect him to win the PC leadership. I, I don't think people envisioned him being the next premier of Alberta, yet here he is. So did the PCs win in spite of Doug Ford and, and all of his warts, or, or did they win because of him? That's a really interesting question. I, I, it genuinely is, and I, I'm not avoiding your answer. I honestly just haven't looked that closely at the numbers yet. I mean, yeah. at the very least, We can say that Doug Ford was not the poison pill. Uh, Some conservatives, I even say myself included in that, I'm not a partisan conservative, but certainly I'm normally a right-wing voter. I was worried that Doug Ford would be too toxic uh, to, to elect. I know that many within the PC party were worried about that. The liberals and the NDP were ecstatic to be campaigning against Doug Ford. Uh, Doug Ford, for the leadership, defeated uh, Christine Elliott, uh, the widow of the late Jim Flaherty, herself in Ontario, a very well-known, an accomplished provincial politician who the, the conventional wisdom was if she had won the leadership, she would have romped to victory. But what the polls always showed us, Rob, was something interesting. 
it never showed us that Doug Ford was unelectable. Never showed us that. What it always showed us was that the PCs winning with Doug Ford had to get lucky. And Christine Elliott was a very safe bet to win the premiership. Doug Ford had paths to victory, but they were much more complicated. Christine Elliott was the easier choice, but the polls never said Doug couldn't win. It just said he basically had to really, like, he had a couple of paths to victory, mostly through the Toronto suburbs, and he had to nail those. Christine Elliott would have had more margin for error. She could have lost some seats in other places because she would have been picking them up in other places on top of that. Doug Ford needed things to go a certain way for him last night, and they went exactly that way. He did last night exactly what he needed to do. He's an interesting figure to me, and I'm, I'm still not sure what to make of him. I mean, a couple of terms as a Toronto city councillor, that, that's not much of a resume. I, I still don't know what kind of a conservative Doug Ford is. I know the opposition tried to paint him as, you know, the, the Canadian version of Donald Trump, which seemed like a, a bit of a stretch. But in terms of how he's going to govern or, or what his thinking is, what his principles are, do we have a good idea of, of who and what Doug Ford is? At the surface level, yes. Uh Doug Ford is a sloganeering populist. And I don't even say that dismissively, because obviously it's working for him. The man just won a crushing majority government in our most populous province. So I guess you can't fault him for his strategy. Doug Ford, whether at City Hall in Toronto or on the campaign trail, or even in his victory speech this morning when he announced his transition team and some of the, the logistics about the next few weeks, he sticks to a very limited script of talking points and they're all generically within the uh, the realm of uh, conservative values you know Doug Ford is a guy who wants a smaller more efficient government lower taxes and uh, favors the private sector over the public sector so there's nothing egregiously offensive in that if you describe him very neutrally but the problem with Doug Ford and when I say the problem with Doug Ford I mean the problem with Doug Ford for Doug Ford is that he is undisciplined. He, he shoots off uh, his mouth sometimes uh, on issues he doesn't really know anything about. He is a combative, boisterous personality, and Ontario is not always that kind of a province. I think we were ready for it this time. But in terms of what Doug Ford's uh, policies will be, honestly, we don't know. What he has proposed on the campaign trail was a mix of crowd, uh, crowd-pleasing populist nothing, like buck a beer. Like, yeah, okay, that's going to swing an election. But also fairly conventional conservative dogma, um, a, a minor trim to corporate taxes to spur business investment, you know, promises to eliminate uh, red tape within, within the private sector, promises to bring efficiencies to the delivery of public services. So it, nothing is really outside the mainstream of conservative thought, but it's delivered by someone whose presentation and his personality is entirely populist. If he has deep convictions on matters of public policy, to put it mildly, they are not in evidence. So what we've heard from him so far today, it sounds as though... Um Changing the sex ed curriculum is going to be a uh, top priority, and that's that's been an ongoing issue in Ontario. Uh, fighting the federal carbon tax, I, I guess that's something we've heard a lot from, and, and that's you know safe territory, I think, for conservatives these days. Are we going to see um, those as the, the issues at the forefront, at least initially? 
I, I think probably, honestly, those will be the issues that get the most attention uh, outside of Ontario. I think in, inside of Ontario, it's going to be much more basic than that. Uh, the sex ed curriculum is a weird one. What he's going to do, this is my, my opinion, he's going to announce with much fanfare some new process, and then he's going to come out with a curriculum that is substantively identical to what we currently have. The problem uh, in... In, in the sex ed curriculum, I've actually read the thing, and it's barely a sex ed curriculum. Like, it's less than 10% has anything to do with anatomy or sexuality. It is part of a much broader uh, framework of, of kind of health education in, in the school system. Um, most of the critics of it, put bluntly, Rob, and I, this will sound elitist of me, but most of the critics of it haven't read it. Most of the talking points about it aren't true, and I think the conservatives know that, which is why... If you, if you really parse their statements carefully, they don't criticize the curriculum itself. They criticize, oh, there wasn't enough consultation. It was yeah. a failure of process. So they'll reboot the process and come out with something substantively identical uh, because the curriculum, contrary to what the hysterical critics say, is not particularly objectionable. They might tweak one or two things here or there just to say that they did. <laughs> There's no big changes. What we're going to see in Ontario from Premier Doug Ford assuming he delivers, is going to be on the, the spending side of government. Um, this is a point, Rob, I know this is very micro-Ontario, but there's a lot of unhappiness in, with Ontario right now about the value for money, right? Like, we're getting taxed, we see our money going out of our pockets, we aren't convinced we're getting as much services back. We have problems with health care. You know, it's a Canada-wide problem, I get it, but Ontario hospitals are consistently chronically over capacity so uh stretchers in hallways people getting their medical care on that we have schools a backlog of about 15 billion dollars in repairs to school infrastructure like issues like that real local neighborhood level issues people talk about this sort of thing but we're also paying reasonably high taxes so doug ford's message has been why are we spending so much money to get crappy service. On the other side of that as well, though, Rob, and this is important, we can't balance the books. Yes. So Ontario is, we're not even paying the full cost of lousy service. So that's got to be Doug's priority here. He has got to um, show people that their taxes are coming down, the cost of living is coming down, and that he's going to get some stuff fixed. The problem is, typically a conservative will say, hey, we're going to spur economic growth, right? That's how we're going to pay for this. Ontario is leading the country in economic growth. We've got two, two and a half percent economic growth. Doug Ford, maybe, let's be charitable. Maybe he kicks the economy into high gear. Confidence and red tape. You're not going to fix Ontario's problems by adding another point to growth. Doug Ford is going to have to bring a reckoning onto how we spend money, where we spend money, and what we're spending it on. And a populist doesn't always like being the guy bearing bad news. Yeah, no, get it. Some big challenges. It's going to be interesting times going forward. Matt, appreciate the insight, the analysis. Uh, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Always time for you, buddy. Have a great weekend. There you too. There you go. Matt Gurney with uh, Global News Radio AM 640 in Toronto. And that's going to be a big test for Rob, for, for Doug Ford. How many times are people going to make that slip? Uh, for Doug Ford now going forward, I mean, I think Matt's 100% right. Ontario's biggest challenge is just the insane amount of debt that's been racked up, in particular under successive liberal governments. you got to get a handle on that. And so that's going to mean some really tough choices. That's going to mean taking on the unions. 
this whole issue during the election campaign about what's known as the uh, green belt. And it's, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, an inside baseball Ontario issue, but it just illustrated that, you know, Doug Ford had said, look, you know, we, we got to, uh, uh, we're going to build there. We're, we're going to take this on. And there was a huge outcry and he backed down and said, hey, you know what, we're not going to do that after all, which is really weird. And it was a real 180. So what happens when the going gets tough? What happens when the public sector unions and other various special interests start pushing back? Right? He never really explained during the election where he was going to make these cuts or how they were going to get that situation turned around. But yeah, I think that's Ontario's biggest challenge right now and probably a situation that would have got a lot worse had the NDP won the election, in all fairness. And so maybe that's what people were looking for. We got to get a handle on this. We don't know exactly how the PCs plan to do it, but maybe they're the best bets of the three. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.